grind. Welcome back to the Ugly Pike Podcast on the Outdoor Journal Radio Podcast Network. Frank and I are pumped as a true legend who has been fishing on TV for over 30 years. Well, he's waiting for us in the green room uh, to get this podcast started. Before we dive into this episode, let's have a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Canada's only specialized pike and muskie shop, Izoko. Head over to izokofishing.com. And check out all of the amazing hand-picked, top-quality gear they have to offer. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Angling Sports, based in London, Ontario, and serving customers throughout Canada and the northern U.S. With over 30 years of unmatched angler support, they offer top-tier fishing products, catering to every skill level. Explore offerings at anglingsports.ca and gear up for an unparalleled fishing experience. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are about to embark on a fishing journey like no other. Today, we have the privilege of diving into the depths of angling mastery with a living legend, a man whose passion for fishing has defined a generation of anglers. With over a staggering 1,500 shows under his belt, uh, spending over 30 years of a career, our guest needs no introduction in the world of fishing Since 1991, he has been a force, uh, the driving force behind the captivating show Woods and Waters. Mr. John Gillespie, welcome to the show. And and as always, we like to say we really appreciate the time you take for this today, as we know you have an insane schedule. And so thank you very much and welcome again. Oh, Chris, that was a lovely introduction. I appreciate it, man. Living legend. I like that. (laughs) Well, man, when you start getting into what you've accomplished, Frank, I think you would concur. I concur, and I think like to anybody who puts hooks in waters and loves angling, you know, when you hear John's voice, you know it's John. It's 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 a staple of fishing, and uh, you know what? I, I remember John when when we Chris and I like to go to Andy Myers Lodge, and uh, you know Julian's a friend of ours. I know he's a friend of yours as well, and uh, I'll never forget listening to some of those earlier episodes when when we got back and we were still on our Eagle Lake High. And watching you in the boat with Julian and just like literally going nuts on him when you guys were catching fish. Like it, it seemed like such a great time uh, up there. And you, you just get so excited and the passion just sh- shines through. Well, you know, a lot of people in our audience complain about the fact that I do get so excited. But you know what? Hey, if the camera wasn't there, it'd be the same thing. You know, I grew up fishing. It was my passion. And when you're out there with a TV camera, it even adds to the excitement. But, hey, who doesn't get excited when they see a 48-inch muskie coming in? You know, seriously, man. I uh, I do whoop it up. Uh, actually, Steve Herbeck slapped me in the face one day after <laughs> I caught a muskie. Hey, hey, calm down, calm down. It's only a fish. And then I look at him. He's equally as excited as I am. But right. uh, I don't care what people say. That's me. I get excited. It's a big fish, and man, it's a big part of my life. Well, Chris, you you know that Steve Herbeck uh, played his hand with us when you know he said, "What did he say to us, Chris, about when your knees stop knocking?" 
Yeah, he's something about what, if his if his knees stop knocking, then you know, like he's he'll he'll wrap it up. But you know, at his at his age and, and the amount of fishing he's done, he was the point was still when he sees a fish come in like that, he still gets scared, he still gets nervous, and that's just a testament to the passion and the and, and like it, that 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 feeling never goes away. And if it does, then you know, hang up the rod, right? I agree, man. And I'll tell you what, I see, uh, I I don't see anybody catch big musky that doesn't get excited. And I just happen to be someone who is boisterous and loud and sometimes obnoxious about it. I I don't think I'm not, I don't think obnoxious is the right word at all. I I think, I think for a gentleman like yourself and, you know, when I even look at the trajectory, trajectory of the show, passion is what carries it. And passion is what, you know, is what listeners and re and, and, and viewers want. And I think it, I think passion translates into success. I, I think there's a direct correlation. So I don't think that's anything anybody should be apologetic for. It's just who we are. We love what we do and that's why we're successful at it. And, you know, that brings up a good point. And, you know, people ask me, how do you do this every week for 31 or 32 straight years? How do you get up and go every week, no matter what the weather and the pressure of of producing a show every single week? I just say, hey, man, I'll tell you what, for 33 years, I have gone to sleep every night looking forward to going to work. And that is a big factor. I mean, and my my father-in-law, who passed away years ago, was was a great entrepreneur. And uh, when I started my show... He thought it was a dumb idea. And uh, as we became more and more successful, he said to me, you know why you're successful? Because you love what you do and it's not work and your passion comes through. John, just on that point, let, let's explore this passion a little bit more because it really is a driving force and, and it's so organic. That's what I love about it. You know, it's just natural. It comes out of you. So if we if we go back to your childhood, we know like in a lot of our lives, everybody's lives, there's like moments, uh, pivotal moments, influences, perhaps from your parents or, or uh, like something that happened in nature that, that really sparks that profound connection that drives you forward. Like, it, was there something that happened to you that was like the catalyst that said, you know what, that's it. I'm spending my life in nature and fishing. And, and it was just like a moment that defined it. Or was it just a gradual evolution? Maybe speak to that a little bit. Oh, sure. My, my dad was, uh, I come from a broadcasting family. My dad uh, was the announcer of the old Milwaukee Braves baseball team. Uh, he was in the news business for many, many years, and he was a golfer. He never fished. He came from Chicago, Illinois, played minor league baseball until uh, he was 24 years old and, and moved into the radio booth. And, uh, he had a friend who owned a cottage at a little lake near Milwaukee or called Little Cedar. And my parents used to get, a, get together with a bunch of friends, go out there and do a barbecue and have a few drinks. And I found a cane pole uh, behind that cottage. And one of my dad's friends showed me how to tie a hook on and put a worm on. And I caught a couple of little bluegills. And that was it. I mean, from the time I was five years old till now, I could go out on a lake and spend 10 hours and it would seem like 15 minutes. I need to be fishing. I need to be on the water. But that was the catalyst was was that day when I grabbed a cane pole. And uh, by the time I was 10 years old, I was allowed to take out a, a 12 foot rowboat 
and I couldn't go any further than where my folks could see me. But uh, what freedom going out there, catching bluegills, catching crappies, learning the sport. I read everything I could. You know, in those days, it was sports field and field and stream. But I mean, I just completely fell in love with the sport. And I was a pretty good athlete. I played played different sports in high school. But uh, when it came time to go fishing, I'd have to call the coach and say, hey, I'm sick today. I'm going fishing. <laughs> so, but, uh, I mean, it, it always has been a passion. And, and then, of course, over the course of my life, I, I, uh, there was a lot of turns and twists to get to where I'm at, where fishing is my business. But before that, don't you find that the fact that you could go do that on your own and still have all that love and joy and just like excitement is what really defines that passion like a lot of uh, i always talk about this on the on the show that you know when you're fishing and you love it and you try to bring somebody into that world and you're four hours in you haven't caught anything and they're like what are we doing here i want to go home but but yourself is like i can stay for their 10 hours and get up and do this again and i'm so excited that's what separates us i think that's what makes uh, defines us as just pure anglers that's very true. And and you know what? Even if you fished as many years as I have and as many places with as many experts, you never know what's going to happen when you're fishing. You never know what's going to happen in the right. next 10 minutes. That's what makes it so cool. And uh, it's also a sport that, you know, you keep learning every time you go out. I can fish the same lake around the Milwaukee area for the last 50 years and you know what, Chris? You know what, Frank? Every time I go out there, I figure out something new, something different. That's what's so cool about the sport. And it's also, it's a built-in desire, and It's a built-in deal when you love to fish as much as we do that it's almost like not all you think of, but it's like, when can I get out the next time? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here waiting for my ice fishing trip to start. And um, the more I think about it, the more excited I get. And Chris, I, I, I know I can speak for Chris, John, when I say when we have our big trips, even even our not so big trips, our run ups to Nipissing or our big trips up into Sunset Country. Hey, Chris, it's like it's months of pins and needles, right? You got to catch yourself because you start thinking about what you're what you're actually going to yeah. do. And then you got to catch your breath. Yeah. But it's you daunting. always have that that excitement that you know you get that 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 child excitement like you're, you're going to do something yeah. you you realize oh I'm 50 years old and I'm still feeling that <laughs> eight year old uh, you know oh I can't wait to wake up on Christmas morning type feeling you know that is a great way to put it yeah. I can't wait till Christmas morning that's the way all of us feel no matter how much we fish when you you still have that feeling the night before the day before the week before thankfully i get to go every single week you know and uh it the way i started this business is kind of interesting too guys um when i went to i went to marquette university here in, in wisconsin and majored in broadcasting as i talked about earlier my dad was very involved in that and i became a sportscaster Okay, so I was in television news for 18 years. I worked in small towns in Wisconsin. I worked in Milwaukee, Dallas, Texas, Ohio, came back to Milwaukee. And uh, everywhere I went, the first thing I looked for was, hey, where can I fish in Dallas, Texas? Hey, where can I, you know, where can I fish in Green Bay? Where can I fish in Toledo, Ohio? And carried the passion of fishing with me. 
And uh, my last job, I have five kids too, by the way. And so that's very difficult when you're in the television business to move uh, to get a better paycheck or cover better teams or whatever. And I wound up back here in Milwaukee of my last job. And I, I went into the news director expecting a big raise. And I said, well, I said, I'm ready to sign a new three-year contract. How much am I going to get? He said, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, hey, what are you going to do, man? So I, I really, I bought a six-pack of beer. My wife was uh, six months pregnant with our last child. And she was working. So I went back and sat on the back steps of my house. And I said, let's. Let's figure out what we're going to do. We don't want to move the kids again to another city. Now, John Gillespie, what can you do? And, of course, I said to myself, well, I love fishing. I mean, this is what I want to do. And I said, I know the television business. I know how to edit. I know how to film. I know how to host a show. So I, after about the fifth beer, I said, well, hey, I'm going to start <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start a fishing show. <clears throat> and I remember my wife coming home that day, did not know I was fired yet. And she's coming home from work, walking up the, the back sidewalk there. And I said, honey, I got some good news for you and some bad news. I oh said, boy. the bad news is I, I lost my job today. Now, this is a six-month pregnant woman with four kids. And I said, the good news is we're going to sell our house and we're going to buy a TV camera, and we're going to start a fishing show. And that's how all of this started back in 1990. And I don't know if you're familiar with how we do fishing shows. We actually buy a half hour of airtime on Fox Sports Wisconsin, Fox Sports Minnesota, NBC Sports in Chicago. And then we go out and sell the advertising. And whatever is left over is what I have, you know, to live on. So that was the and, model back then, too. I know that's the model now. I just figured it was a little easier back then. No, not at all, man. And, and when I started, there was probably two other shows out there that were popular, and that was Joe Booker and the Linders. And I love Al Linder, by the way. Dear so do we. We've had him on the show. Yeah, wonderful guy. And, uh, you know, that puts a little bit of pressure on you. And, you know, think about this. You don't have health insurance. You, you get, you've got four kids, one on the way. and But we had no other options. And all of a sudden, I was doing what I dreamed about all my life. It used to be that I'd have to say, honey, you know, after, after four days of work or five days of work, I want to go fishing this weekend. That didn't go over too good when you have kids. But now it was my job. Now I could go whenever I wanted. Now I'd get home from a fishing trip and my wife say, did you have a hard day, honey? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, it, it, no, but that that was the, the, the formula in those days. You buy the airtime, you sell the advertising, and whatever less leftovers would you have. I had two advantages going for me. I knew how to edit everything myself. Uh, so I'd hire a photographer. And I remember I paid him 250 bucks a week. But he only worked two, three days a week. So then I'd come home and we were, I don't want to get into the old fashioned way of editing, but uh, I did the show for myself. It. And, oh, well, in those days, you edited machine to machine. Everything is computer now. I, I go back as far as working with film. But uh, in order to get editing decks, I had to announce high school football games 
for a TV station, and they would let me use their editing equipment late at night. So then I would go in and edit the show for the following weekend without spending any money. Uh, just real quickly, the first quarter that we did this, we lost $14,000, which at that time to me was like a million. And uh, after the second quarter, we started making money. Not a lot, but uh, thankfully, uh, everything went smoothly after that. We had our ups and downs, but... Uh, yeah, my last daughter was born on the state. We didn't have enough money to pay for the for the for the birth. Wow. But uh, I was fishing, man. See that I was fishing, and I was going to make a living at this, and uh, end up doing it. You know. So from that from that point where you started, was that the initial episode releases, and you went fifteen hundred from there every week for the for the like. How did that work? How did how did that how did you oh, get to fifteen hundred? It's real simple. My original formula was to be like the lender or the booker and do thirteen twenty six shows a year. Well, I quickly found out that that wasn't enough money to raise a family, so I came up with this bright idea: we're going to do fifty two new and current shows a year, and that way we'd have enough money coming in to live on. And that turned out to be the catalyst behind our show was the fact that everything was new and current, uh, was filmed primarily in the Midwest. So the average angler would watch us on Saturday and say, oh, wow, look at all those walleyes Gillespie caught up on the Fox River in Green Bay. Let's go there this weekend. And we developed a trust amongst our audience that what we're doing is real. Um, I mean, there's a lot of crappy shows those fifteen hundred too, you guys. You're fishermen, you know that. Yeah. We also you know? produce. We're also people who have produced crappy shows ourselves, right, Chris? So we can relate. It's part of the learning curve, yeah. right, John? It's like you have to. You have to have part of that. Oh, I remember one day going up ice fishing uh, with my buddy Rob Manti up in Vilas County, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there was three feet of slush on the ice. You couldn't go anywhere, and the fish weren't biting, right? We caught three 12-inch pike in two days. How do you make a show out of that? You know, you do. You know, you do tips or, you know, you do, let's do this. Or, or you'd be really honest with the folks like we are. Hey, man, this sucks being out here. I mean, we ain't going to catch crap. And we didn't. But you still put the show on. And I, I think people appreciate that, that it, every week isn't going to be a bonanza. Show the tough times. Show the time that you're up uh, on Eagle Lake and it's 41 below zero and you got to figure out how to get out there and get a show done. That's that. That's the cool thing. And I think that 52-week current deal has really been, as I said, the catalyst of our success. How did you have confidence, John, in the early days that you could get to sponsors? Like, this is like as as a brand and as a show that has just recently started to engage sponsors and you know we're fortunate enough to have had a body of work where the sponsors in a lot of cases are seeking us out these days which is wonderful but man I couldn't imagine <clears throat> excuse me my back against the wall my wife is pregnant where we can't pay the bills okay my strategy is going to be to go sell sponsorship now like how did you have the confidence or did you have some sort of apparatus because you were in media to find the right people and, and get them interested in your show? Like, how do you get the guts to do that? Well, Frank, you just hit it on the head. 
number one, your back's against the wall. That kind of changes your approach to everything. And I had always been in media. I'd always been the center of attention. I'd never sold anything. That's a tough deal, man. Yeah. You're oh, yeah. Doing a lot of stuff. yeah. And you're going out and selling yourself with a product that isn't even there. It's your, your product is in the air. You got to explain that. The fortunate thing was being in the, being a sportscaster for a number of years in the Milwaukee area, my name was familiar, you know, to a lot of these people. And I remember our first sponsor was the Paps Brewing Company. And uh, I enjoy beer, by the way, guys. And I got to try yours. We have a beer company. What is the name of yours? Ugly Pike. It's the uh, appropriately named Ugly Pike. So we'll try to get some into the States. Uh, We're about to launch a new product. And uh, we'll try to get some. I sent some to Pete not too long ago. So... I'll, uh, we'll find a way to get you some, John. Don't worry. I'm driving to Pete's after we're done. I heard. So maybe he's got a can laying around. Knowing him, it's gone. It better be gone. (laughs) If it's not gone, we got a problem, John. Yeah. So (laughs) I go into the Pabst Brewing Company, and I I think I got in there because the name was Gillespie. And Gillespie, my dad was a sportscaster here. I was a sportscaster here. And I was so fortunate that the marketing guy from Pabst was an avid angler that helps so yeah i go in there and uh, i remember his name john layman the late john layman he owned a uh a bait shop too here and i and john was all excited about the idea so we got Pabst brewing company to sponsor the show now remember i've got to come up with seven thousand a week to buy airtime so i think that they were a major sponsor. They were paying us over a hundred a year. And then we got Toyota to come in as a sponsor. And after paying the photographer with those two sponsors, I was a little bit below break even. And, but I had to get the product down the air. I had to get the audience interested in what we were doing so I could sell additional advertising. And sure enough, over the next year or two, all of a sudden I was making 20 grand a year, you know, and that's not a lot of money, but I was making 20 grand. And then, of course, you know, as our show became more and more a success, um, the sponsorships became easier to get, which Frank and Chris, you guys are experiencing that now, too, right? We're kind of going over it. But, John, just to interject, I want to say that $20,000 doing something you love is worth so much more than $40,000 doing a job that you hate. Like when you get money, like I I remember when we got our first sponsorship deal or what Chris, when we started selling our beer, it was like, like, Oh, we just made a hundred dollars. Well, it's a hundred dollars. Right. But, but we did, you made it, but we made made it. it, Frank. You created it. We made it. You created it. Fishing. We made it with hooks in the water and, and the uh, the excitement in our voices, Chris, we made that money with our passion. And that is worth more than the price tag on the dollar value. And, and I think I think, John, like it's also the vision, right? You have to have that vision and you have to believe in it. And what, as Frank pointed out, you know, like when your backup is against the wall, but you just believed in your vision and you just went all in and you bet on yourself. And, you know, that's like that's what you have to do. It's the only Absolutely. way you're going to win, yeah. And, and, and when you have that passion for fishing going in, it doesn't even seem like work. You know, maybe the work is – and I enjoy editing too, by the way, guys. Uh, I don't know too many fishing show hosts around the country that are doing their own editing. 
But I mean, that to me is so much fun to come back with what you have and assemble it into into a half hour show every week. To me, that's a, that's an awful lot of fun. And I, I have to interject one thing here because you guys love fishing. Are you guys married, by the way? Both yep. married. I got two Both boys. Married. Two boys. Yeah. Okay. You have to have this is to be successful in our business, a loving and understanding wife with the travel schedule that we have, with the passion that we have for fishing, with with kids at home. I'll tell you what, I would never, ever have been successful if I didn't have the emotional support for my wife, from my wife. Have you ever met a Sicilian? No. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have. I, yeah, I went, to, I went to grade school on the east side of Milwaukee, which is all Italian and Sicilian. My wife, yeah, um, it's a good balance between support and just that Sicilian side of her. So I, 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 I'm working that, I'm walking that line to make sure I, I have that balance of, you know, giving her the love and, and the support of the family that they obviously deserve, and then taking that time to to follow that passion. So yeah, but yeah, it's a, it can be a challenge with the Sicilian. <laughs> I think is she, I think is too. Sicilian, is she in Saudi Arabia with you? Of course. Oh, yes. that's awesome. Yeah. 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 She's she's with me. That's right. I, I will say, Chris, that I think you're in a bit of a different spot in your life where you still have your toe in the professional water. Uh, you know, Chris is fortunate enough to have a very successful career that's extremely fulfilling to him. And so, you know what, I think the day is is inevitably gonna come, Chris, where you're one hundred percent on team passion yeah. passion for for your 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 income right and yeah. uh john i have a jiu-jitsu academy here in niagara falls um that i teach and that's my other passion in life so i i stepped away from the corporate world after 20 years and just said just like you john my wife was pregnant with our first child and i stepped away from a a, a very uh i was on easy street i was a, an executive with an expense account and i flew all over north america i had a great life but something was just kind of missing. And so I had to do that gut check with my wife pregnant and say, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, this is like life is too short. So, I mean, Chris, I really feel like you're on the cusp of that, you know, whether that's a year or two years or whatever it looks like um, it's going to be great when it, when it happens, but you know what, it's, it's happening right now. And, and, and this brand is growing and uh, I think we're certainly headed in that direction, John. So it's uh, something we can relate to. And uh, your story is just uh amazing it's it's a lot of fun we're the lucky three you know i think so i I mean really think about that man i I, the 33 years i've been doing this have has gone by in an absolute flash yeah i mean seriously sometimes i think to myself hey you're 73 years old man and you don't want to quit and you look back how fast everything went and how fun everything was and the friendships the friendships, you know, I, I get this question everywhere yeah, I go. Yeah. Why don't you retire? Why don't you hang it up? Why don't you do 20 shows a year instead of 52? Because this is all my friends. My whole universe, other than my family, is in the fishing business. And everybody has everything in common. They all get excited about a muskie. They all get excited about a 10-pound walleye. I mean, if I retired, man, it would be sad deal. But John, I think too that like um, anglers are certain kinds of people. And so not only are you immersing yourself in the fishing world and they're your friends, 
it's like these are the kinds of friends to have. These are the best people to know where we help each other. We're resourceful. We're driven. We can appreciate a quiet moment on the water together. There's a million reasons why, you know, anglers or anglers and hunters are the people you want to surround yourself with, in my opinion. Absolutely agree. And uh, I've experienced that for the last 33 years. And uh, when I was in uh, the television business and I interviewed some of the top athletes in the world, you know, the arrogance and the uh, attitude that they had towards other people, so different in the fishing industry. You immediately go in and you're on a level playing field. You have stuff in common. And it is, you're right, so easy to get along. Chris, it reminds me of Al Linder when we approached him. You know, the show was just a, a nothing show. And, you know, we, we approached his team and um, and he agreed to come on the show. He didn't know how, who the hell we were. Uh, and just this king of media, this, this media empire, he's the top. I mean, he's the top of the food chain. He said yes to us. Yeah. That's so cool, right? I mean. Do you know the name of Canada's one and only specialized pike and muskie shop? It's Izoko, and it's an Esox Angler's Paradise, offering the very best in hand-picked, top-quality gear, from bait casting to fly fishing, and even specialized Scandinavian tackle. Izoko's staff will provide expert advice and top-quality service. But Izoko is more than just a store. It's a community of passionate anglers that make up the Izoko tribe, and they're always ready to share tips and swap stories. So head over to their shop in person or online at izokofishing.com and let Izoko turn those fishing trips into epic stories. Hi everybody, I'm Angelo Viola. And I'm Pete Bowman. Now you might know us as the hosts of Canada's favorite fishing show, but now we're hosting a podcast. That's right. Every Thursday, Angela and I will be right here in your ears, bringing you a brand new episode of Outdoor Journal Radio. Hmm. Now what are we going to talk about for two hours every week? Well, you know there's going to be a lot of fishing. I knew exactly where those fish were going to be and how to catch them, and they were easy to catch. Yeah, but it's not just a fishing show. We're going to be talking to people from all facets of the outdoors. From athletes. All the other guys would go golfing. Me and Garth and Turk and all the Russians would go fishing. To scientists. But now that we're reforesting and letting things free, it's the perfect transmission environment for Lyme disease. To chefs. If any game isn't cooked properly, marinated, or you will taste it. And whoever else will pick up the phone. Wherever you are, Outdoor Journal Radio seeks to answer the questions and tell the stories of all those who enjoy being outside. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No matter what species you love to target, from boot to headlamp, Angling Sports has what you need. Their store is massive, and it's just loaded with equipment and apparel. So if you love to go after those big toothy critters like we do, it's a one-stop shop for all pike and musky tackle. Whether you're looking for trolling rods or casting reels, Angling Sports is always adding the latest and best industry offerings from entry level to higher end. Looking for custom musky baits? They got them. It's worth the drive to London, so check out their amazing store in person or online by visiting anglingsports.ca and net that PB in style. 
if we get into your show a little bit, you know, obviously you've, you've outlined how you've established and, and, and what's driving this, like you have an infectious passion and, and dedication. When we get into the meat of the show, you've obviously traveled to all these different places and fished all these different types of species amongst all these different areas and regions in the upper Midwest, uh, you know, Western uh, Ontario, and, and I'm sure you, you fished all over the States. So I was just wanted to gain some insight from you. Um, when you start meeting all these people, are there small little cultural differences on how people fish and, and little things that you pick up in terms of like fishing here is so much different than fishing over there? And if maybe there was one thing that stood out to you in your, in your 30 years that you could maybe share with us in terms of like some unique experience that you only, you know, uh, uh, encounter in a certain area. And then when you fish the same species or the same type of uh, 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 fishing in somewhere else, they don't do it that way. What a, what a great question. And uh, let me first say that I have, I position myself in the boat <clears throat> as a guy who knows nothing, right? I am relying on my my co-host or the guide, you know, to get us the fish and whatever. And as a host, I want to try and ask the questions that the guy sitting in his easy chair at home would ask, you know, even though I know the answer. Okay. So I am positioning myself as the liaison between the audience and the expert. And Chris, that's a great question because I have learned so much, for example, uh, walleye fishing. You know, you go to the Bay of Green Bay, and the only way you can catch walleyes is on a hair jig, for example. But I fish walleyes in 100 different places with 100 different techniques. What is really fun for me is to take one of those techniques I might have learned on Lake Erie or some lake in northern Wisconsin and try it on the Bay of Green Bay and see if it works. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Uh, yes, fishing differs everywhere you go, but it's so much fun to try to adapt a technique from one place and be successful with it in another place. And I have just through osmosis, you guys, I have so much fishing knowledge that I have garnered from the best fishermen in the United States of America and Canada. That is really kind of a cool deal. I can go anywhere and say, okay, I see those fish on the bottom. And let's see, uh, the guy over there told me what to do. This guy told me what. I got about five different techniques I can try. You know, it's really a neat deal. And does something just drop in your head at that moment? Oh, I remember uh, seven years ago, we were in the same position. And uh, so-and-so <laughs> said, you know what, try this. And then all of Absolutely. a sudden. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, this that's happened on, on Lake Erie last week. Okay, so we're out there, and actually, this was kind of a tough deal because the wind was going to blow big time the next day. So we drove from Milwaukee to Port Clinton, Ohio, which is about a six-hour drive, got there at, at one in the afternoon, and we had five hours till it got dark. The next day, we couldn't fish because it would come out of the east at 20 miles an hour. So in those that five-hour period, we just trolled. And we caught our enough walleyes for the show, and then we drove home. What was really cool, what I should have done there, Chris and Frank, is, is when watching the locator as we're trolling in 30 feet of water, most of the fish were, the active fish were in the upper 10 feet of water. 
but there were so many fish stacked on the bottom. I thought, man, if I had another two hours, I could have uh, vertical jigged. I could have used uh, ice fishing techniques. Uh, I could have gotten those fish to bite on the bottom. So those, that stuff goes through my head all the time. And I never want to second guess the guy, the guy that I'm fishing with. Sometimes I do, though. So. So, okay, so here's a follow-up to that, and it's on a similar line. Again, with, you know, the extent of your experience, you've you fished for so many species. Um, and I wanted to understand, like, and you talked earlier about how you're still going to bed with that feeling like you can't wait, wait to get up in the morning to go fishing. So when you know what species you're targeting that next day, do you go to bed with a different feeling every night? Like, so like we all know when you're targeting muskie, what we're in for, but when you're targeting walleye, bass, et cetera. So I'm just trying to understand, do you every, every night or every time you go to a show have a different feeling in your head because of the species that you're fishing for, or you just go in with the same kind of open mindset um, every day? Well, you guys are muskie nuts, right? Am yeah. I correct? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. This is an ugly pike podcast. Yeah, that's all we yeah. do. We got problems. Well, you got the sickness. Well, for 40 years of my life, that's all I thought about was musky fishing. Why? And, Why? Oh, because when I caught my first one, man, it just changed my life. And I was 17 years old. And before that, all I wanted to do was crappie fish and, you know, bass fish and <clears throat> My dad set up a trip for us and uh, went to a lake, and I caught a 41-incher, and that changed my life. The way the fish hit, the way it fought, and the accomplishment. Yeah, right. Every time you catch a muskie, it's an accomplishment. I don't care how many you've yep. caught, right? Oh, yeah. And and that completely changed my life. So then when I got into the, the fishing show business, uh. I met some guys that had the same musky passion as myself. Pete Mayna did my first show with me in 1991. And I'm leaving this afternoon to fish ice fishing with them this afternoon. But he had that passion too and that excitement and and just the how to be prepared and and be alert and do this and that. So I guess to answer the question, Chris, over the years when there was a musky show coming up, I couldn't go to sleep. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, look, look at it this way, you guys. I'm going with the best guys that there are. Steve Herbeck, Pete yeah. Mayna, yeah. Rob Manti. And I'm going to hunt muskies, my passion. Yeah. And That's that was the deal. That, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, I knew a little bit about muskie fishing. My first television mm-hmm. job was in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And I lived on a lake. I could fish muskies every day, you know. But to go with a guy who has that type of knowledge, that kind of ability, you can understand why I couldn't get, get to sleep at night, you know? So let's let's drill down on this because you actually made a comment a while back about <laughs> musky legends. And so what I'm wondering is if you could talk a little bit about some of the musky legends you've fished with and what they might have in common <clears throat> and what maybe some of them don't have in common because let's face it musky legends and musky professionals and guys that are diehards there's always going to be a certain uh quirk or eccentricity about these people just because of the nature of what they do subjecting yourself to torture 
every day on the water is is a, a weird way to live your life. It, there's a high risk reward. There's the, you know, it's, it's just, you, you know, the way it is, it's total grind. So may, maybe if you could speak to some of the more notable uh, men or women that stick in your mind that, that what they have in common and kind of maybe some of the outliers and why they were different, just maybe a couple people that stick in your mind when these legends well, come to mind. Yeah. First quality is innate stupidity, right? to be a musky fisherman, <laughs> to go out there and beat yourself up every single day, 14 hours a day, and catch a fish and throw them back. Brute strength and <laughs> ignorance. This is you know, this is what uh, Gord Pizer says, Br- brute strength and ignorance. There's two guys that I have fished with for, for, for many years that are very similar, um, and we mentioned them before, and that's Steve Herbeck. And that's, that's Pete Maina. And um, I'll start with Steve. Uh, this guy, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody in my life that has a passion and a love for muskies more than Steve Herbeck. And Steve is, I think Steve's like 66 years old. And I was sitting up at Andy Myers Lodge with him last summer. And I, I, he looked at me and he said, "You know what? I am never going to quit doing this." All right. Said, this is this is this is my this is the reason I'm still here, is because I love musky fishing. And you get in a boat with Steve, man. You don't screw around. You better be alert. You better be ready, or you're going to get reamed out if you make a mistake. He is a top-notch professional. The knowledge that he has, and, you know, really good fishermen have a kind of an innate knowledge. You could take a locator away from them uh, or live scope or, or whatever, and they'd still figure out where fish are. Yeah. It's kind of an uh, built in their heads how to look for fish. And, and Steve is definitely not a follower. He's an innovator. He will he – will, uh, actually take a bait and change it around a little bit to do exactly what he wants it to do. Uh, and he will sit in the back of that boat. And as I say, if you miss a follow, he's all over your butt. Mm. And of course the language is kind of colorful. Too. We, we fished with him both, both Chris and I have fished with him. Yeah. So you know that the language is kind of interesting in the boat too. Oh, right? everything you're saying hits home. I, I remember the first time I fished with him, uh chris was the year before i went with you and i was like nervous in his but i was like standing yeah, up straight yeah. and he was not he was not cordial to me until we had an ice breaking moment and then it was like he's your best buddy yeah you know exactly and did you enjoy the colorful language i i enjoyed everything about steve language <laughs> yeah. included you know we, we we swear on this show if, if it's natural but we you know, we try to be a little more professional, but in the boat, in the boat is in the but boat. Steve, but Steve had the uh, fish whistle, which mitigated that a little bit. The <laughs> What's the fish whistle? <laughs> it's a special device that uh, takes a puff out of, and it uh, just calms everything. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. Well, here's a, here's a Herbeck story for you. So we get a new sponsor. This was about 15, 20 years ago, and, and it's the Johnsonville Sausage Company. Big company. Hey, you know what it's like, guys, when you get a big sponsor, right? Yes, so yes, I do. say to the, to the owner and president of the company, I said, hey, let's go up to Canada. Let's go to Andy Myers Lodge. I said, I know you love the musky fish. 
and we'll go and then and have a good time. So I'm in the boat with with Pete Maina and another guy from Johnsonville, and and Herbie's got the president of Johnsonville in his boat, and we're several hundred yards away, right? What a crew! So Holy cow. So apparently, the president of Johnsonville hooks a muskie, right, and loses it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we, I mean, it was absolute screaming from 300 yards away. Herbeck is all over the president of Johnsonville's butt for missing this muskie. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, there goes that sponsorship. And it, it, it's typical Herbie. I mean, screaming at the top of, you dumb, blank, 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 you stupid ass. <laughs> And and you know what was funny? We we, we went to dinner that night. I, I said to Ralph, who was the owner of Johnsonville, I said, everything okay? He said, I had a great time with Steve Herbeck today, even though he got really lashed for missing that fish. But that's Steve. I mean, you know, that's just the way it is, whether it's the president of Johnsonville or the garbage man down the street who's paying money to get a guided trip. Steve treats everybody the same way. You get in his boat, you do it the right way, or you get out. He is he's authentic, and he is one of a kind. So, you know what, uh, maybe maybe when you got nothing to do, John, which is probably never, but get Blake to go back into our catalog and, and uh, listen to our episode with, with Steve Herbeck because uh, it was one of our favorite episodes. We were – Right on the water at Any Myers, and one of the one of their newer, they called it the honeymoon cabin. Not sure why they put us in that, but uh, <laughs> you know, they. Uh, <laughs> I, I know why. It was one of the newer cabins at the time, and and uh, you know what? It was after a after a hard day on the water. I don't think we got a fish, and but you know, we had a bottle of whiskey and and you know whatever else, and and we had an amazing talk with Steve and. Uh, just, I just, I'll never forget the way he looked at us when he was telling us these stories and the way, the way his voice, the pitch of his voice would dip when he's talking about these giant fish that he's only seen a couple times in his life. And I always compare that conversation to, uh, the, the scene in Jaws where Quinn's t- talking about the battleship going down and, and, you know, telling everybody what it was like to swim in the water with the sharks and he's, his voice is, is rumbling and his eyes are piercing and, that's the way that those stories were uh, on on that lake that night with the shores crashing at our front door. Um, I'll never ever forget that moment. It was one of my very favorite uh, podcasts and trips with Chris and, and Steve and, and Julian and the whole crew up there. And uh, it, it comes through in that episode. So I, I think uh, as a guy who can relate to all the players, I think you'd really like that episode one day. So. I will. Uh, I will get Blake to cue that. I've got to drive five hours today there in a snowstorm. So that'll be good entertainment. Well, you know what? Go through the catalog. I'm sure you'll see tons of uh, buddies. There's a, there's a bunch of Pete Maynas. There's a Julian Kalka. There's an Al Linder. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But just don't hold the early stuff against us, please, because we were trying to find our <laughs> – find our feet for a, it took us a little while i don't want you to watch the first show i ever did either so. <laughs> fair enough fair but, enough. Uh, no herbeck is, is an incredible character and he you want to talk about a living legend he is one of them and the other guy i got to talk about is pete Mayna. uh pete is a, a very dear friend of mine uh he, we've worked together for 33 years and I recognized how professional he was the first time I stepped in a boat with him. 
He is the consummate professional. Now, remember, I have a background where I interviewed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, uh, O.J. Simpson, you know, all these great athletes over the years, Henry Aaron. and uh, I got in the boat. I had the same respect for Pete that I did for these athletes. He exuded confidence. He exuded knowledge. And he was I, – I, I respected him as much as I did Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, as a professional. And we instantly became friends. And what, what's interesting, Pete is an absolute technician when it comes to fishing. Everything has to be perfect. The line's got to be perfect. The hook's got to be sharp. Uh, and he, again, has that Steve Herbeck knowledge in his head. Uh, I, I told Pete one day, uh, I, after this is a kind of an interesting story in itself, we were out, uh, we needed a show, and it was Wednesday, right? So we have to edit our show th- by Thursday, and they have to be sent out to the various TV stations. And we're up in Hayward, Wisconsin. And it is the day before deer hunting season, and it is eight degrees out. And the wind is blowing about 35 miles an hour, and we are musky fishing. And uh, in those, uh, I'll get into this in a second, but I said, Pete, I said, we need two fish, man, I, or we don't have a show, period. So we get out to a lake um, near Hayward there, and again, eight degrees. It is literally eight, not wind chill, eight degrees with a 30 mile an hour wind. And he said, okay, what I'm going to do now is I will take Tim, the photographer with me and we'll troll. And uh, in those days we short fished. you know what shore fishing is for muskies, right? From the shore? Yeah. 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 I mean, nobody does it anymore because this is back in like 1990. Unless you're on Lake St. Clair. Yeah, but I mean, shore fishing kills fish, right? Yes. I mean, it's yeah. you just don't do it. Yeah. And we haven't done it in 30 years. But so with the guy in Wisconsin, you're allowed three rods, right? So those guys go out trolling, and Pete sets up three sucker rods for me on shore. And you take the sucker, and you take the boat, and you put the sucker on the deep brake line, and you got three rods there, right? And those guys lasted about an hour out there trolling because the boat completely iced over. They were in danger of sinking. There was so much ice on the boat. So we 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 come back and we're sitting on shore again. It's pretty damn cold and pretty damn windy. And right before dark, all of a sudden, two of those rods, the line starts running out. We had two musky hits at dusk. Wow. Caught a 25 and a 15-pounder. Got the show done. Now, you got to... Just think about these elements for a second. I mean, it's colder than hell. And we got those two fish, and I remember driving back with Pete. I'd only known him for about a year at that time. And I said, buddy, I said, you are the one of the best fishermen I've ever met. He knew exactly what to do, when to do it, under terrible circumstances. And and he is not just a muskie. He knows everything about fishing, period. And, again, the consummate professional. But that one story there I will remember for the rest of my life. I mean, here we're only a year into this business, and I'm thinking, "Oh shit, we're gonna, we're not gonna get a show." Right. And he pulled it out. Right. We, Chris, we we can kind of relate. Like we don't the pressure the, of the eleventh hour muscle, fish, the eleventh hour. Oh. I, we we can't. I, we you know we have the same production schedule, right, Chris? We're like you know by Wednesday if we don't have a show, we're like, oh shit, like it's got to yeah, be edited right. on Thursday and posted. We post. We actually release Thursday nights at five a.m. or Friday mornings at five a.m. So. 
we can relate to that, but not the pressure of actually having the fish. And, and I, I, you know, talking about what we said earlier about, you know, the way that the fishing community is accessible. Um, I was nervous when I approached Pete, uh, we, the show was, I think Chris, I don't know, maybe about halfway into our, our, our journey into the show. And, you know, we had some big names on, but Pete, Pete to me was just a little bit more intimidating because of all the reasons you said he's just, he's just an icon. And, uh, you know, I reached out to him and he said yes. And, and after that day, we actually, he's probably the single person, maybe one of two that I really want to fish with that I haven't, but Pete is no longer the iconic musky fisherman to me because we've, we've stricken up such a, a close friendship outside of the fishing world that, you know, we, we'll talk on the phone maybe once a week and not even talk for an hour and not talk about fishing. And I think that speaks to the kind of guy Pete is. He is, he's a, a fabulous person and he's relatable and he's generous. And, uh, you know, obviously he's one of the smartest guys out there. So he's, uh, one of the great people in this universe to have in your orbit, I would say. You know, yeah, exactly. He is an extremely intelligent man and a consummate professional. And uh, I hope he doesn't listen to this because I don't like to compliment him that much. Uh, There's a lot of crap that flies back and forth in our boat, as you can imagine. We never talk about fishing in the boat. I know that you threw – Chris, I got to mention this now because it's the perfect time. But did you not throw him when you were ice fishing into the slushy water? The first time you went ice fishing with him, he told me I could have. He told I mean, me, I, I've, I've made some bonehead mistakes. He told me you threw him in the wa- in the in the slushy ice water when you yeah, were ice I fishing. Did. But I mean, you want to hear two real boners that I did with? Sure, you? would love to. Uh, all right, well, we're going fishing up in Longville, Minnesota, and it's about not really cold, twenty eight degrees. We're going out trolling, and uh, we're putting the boat in the water, right? And you always try to help Pete, you know what I mean? Like do the back, unstrap the back of the boat, put the plug in for him, you know? So all he's got to do is sit in the boat and back his boat down. Right. So we're in the habit of undoing the front strap on the boat. If it's not a steep landing. So all you got to do is back in the boat flows on and go away. Right. Well, I unstrapped the front of the boat that day. And it's 28 degrees, and the boat was wet from the day before, so the bunk was solid ice. Oh, boy. So I'm backing up the boat, and in slow motion, he's sitting behind the wheel of the boat. I can see this boat (laughs) flying off the trailer. And boom, it hits the cement and destroys the kicker and, you know, whatever. And... uh, He actually held his cool pretty well, but uh, he was pretty pissed off. I had so much (laughs) adrenaline going, you guys. I went and scrapped. I actually cranked that boat up off the cement. That's how much adrenaline I got going with me. And uh, that was one bonehead mistake. Another one was uh, a similar situation. We're we're over in Hayward fishing, and... uh, uh, I pulled the boat out of the water without strapping it on, and that front deal, you know, that turns, yeah. was going so fast it almost broke his arm off. So, uh, yeah, I've made some mistakes with Pete, but, no, he's a great guy. He's fun to fish with. And uh, seriously, I mean, if if, if you got to catch fish and you need a show, 
Uh, I'd rather be with him than anyone else in the world. He will come through for you. And that example I gave you before was just one of many over the 30 years where he, you know, to do a Muskie show, this is something I, I don't mean to talk too much, you guys, but you're so only you here feel, to talk. For it. You're only here okay. to talk. All right. We, um, when we film a musky show, like say we go on a Monday, right? And we get there Monday evening and in the summer, there's still enough light to film a little bit. Then you got Tuesday all day. And then you got three quarters of a day on Wednesday. You got to catch three muskies for a whole show. Do you know how much pressure that puts on a musky angler? Every time you do that, yeah. and I would say over 33 years, Pete has only missed that maybe once or twice. Crazy. And I've done, I, I've, I've done hundreds of shows with him. Crazy. So think about that. Yeah. Think about that accomplishment. And there's days, man, where you have high blue skies and a cold front, and you know that hey, it ain't happening. I mean, if you didn't have to go, you wouldn't go because you know the fish won't bite. Mm. Won't bite. And he, he almost always pulls it out, man, somehow. Uh, the shows with you guys are great. The just the, the the dialogue and the and the chemistry between you, I really enjoy watching the musky shows with uh, with you guys uh, on the boat. Well, our new our new buddy is Christian Leitner, the yeah. last small player. Yeah, I mean, this guy is a. You want to talk about a guy who has passion for muskies? I mean, he puts all of us to shame. We go up uh, to Lake in the Woods with him every year to do a musky show. The last week in November. And we fish hard, as you guys would. You know, you fish, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning till an hour after dark. We get down to the boat. Leitner's already been out an hour in the dark in the morning. That's how how nuts this guy is about <laughs> muskie fishing. And, of course, he played basketball at Duke and for the Minnesota Timberwolves and, and whatever. He doesn't want to talk about that. He does not want to talk about the last second shot in 1992 in the NCAA tournament. To win the championship. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. He wants to talk about 38-inch muskie that hit a surface bait the other day. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, that you meet some really cool people, and Leitner is truly one of them. Well, and yeah. so he lives down in Jacksonville, Florida now, and when his son graduates from high school, you know where he's moving? Lake of the Woods, Baudette, Minnesota. I said, Leitner, I said, you're nuts. I said, you know what March and April are like up there? Oh, I'll ice fish. I'll find something. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, right. I, 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 that is not odd to me at all. It sounds perfect. I'd love to be his neighbor. Uh, yeah, we would love to get Christian on the show. We know he's super passionate. But, you know, Chris and I can relate, John, because, you know, uh, at Andy Myers, they pride themselves on service. And so – we were always out before breakfast, and at night we would come in uh, to two plates with masking tape on the on the uh. foil. One said Chris, one said Frank. We would walk right into the kitchen, take the tin foil off, right to the microwaves, and whatever the hell they were cooking that night, we would eat alone, just broken, <laughs> hunched over, you know. And and, uh, and that's that's how we roll. I mean, it's uh, that's how you know you really got it bad. Think. Yeah, right. Exactly, and that's you're on the same schedule that we are at Andy yeah. Myers too. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. uh, the only blessing there is you can't fish a half hour after dark. It's against the law. Yeah. So you got to come in eventually. You got to come in, but you can always squeeze that little. Oh right? yeah. Even Steve, Steve, as much as Steve's on the water, Herbie, he'll take the first time I fished with him was that you know 
with with certain guides, they'll go out after dinner and they won't they won't charge you the full pop, but you give them a nice tip, right? Um, right. But that you know, to get a guy like that who's just lives on the water and that's his job, and he's just like every night after dinner, he still goes out for that hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, and you know what? His kid, Danny, which it, it is truly, and I, I'm talking about all species. One of the best fishermen I have ever met in my life. And I can tell you that because I first fished with Danny when he was five years old. And we were uh, up up in Door County here in Wisconsin fishing brown trout. And we set a bunch of tip-ups. And here he grabs a jigging rod and is the only guy to catch a brown trout that day wow. five years old. Five years but old. Danny, Holy shit. Danny is truly one of the best fishermen I have ever met in my life. And... Uh, Last year, we, we had Humminbird up there, one of our sponsors, and they wanted to do a, a segment on their new Mega Live system. You guys are all obviously real familiar with that. And uh, I said, okay, Colo, I said, we are going to do it with Danny Herbeck up at Andy Myers Lodge. And we get up there, and we go to a lake, and we set up on a, a 30-foot rock bar, right? There's like 100 feet of water around this rock bar. So we're catching like 17-inch walleyes on top of this rock bar. Pretty easy, you know, jigging a leech and whatever. So Danny takes this um, live scope thing, and he sees these fish suspended in 60 feet of water off the hump uh, 15 feet down, okay? So we throw plastic at him. We do this and that. We can't get him to bite. All of a sudden, Danny comes up with this bright idea. What I'm going to do and you can see these fish negatively react to the plastics and the spoons we threw. Danny rigs up a slip bobber with a leech 14 feet down, throws it on top of these these marks, and it and it they just sit there for a minute. These walleyes are swimming around. Eventually one bites. <clears throat> In the next hour and a half, we had five fish over 30. The biggest was 33 inches. Walleye? This is yeah. This is a guy, and you can watch that show. It's on YouTube uh, from from last August. But uh, this was me seeing a guy completely adapt, being creative, and making fish bite. I would have never thought those fish would be suspended 15 feet, 100 yards off the bar, would you? You know? But, I mean, that's just an example of, of, of seeing what a – creative knowledgeable angler can do in a situation you know we were lucky enough to interview we interviewed him uh, a few months ago on the show we had a great episode with him and uh chris and i met him in person as well um it was like he was the musky whisperer because uh, i'll never forget the way we met him was after one of the most challenging days on with we were with herbie and uh we were getting our butts kicked full sun the whole shebang and uh, Herbie says, oh, my, my – uh, he's looking at his phone. He says, my, my boy's just over in the other bay. Let's go say hi. And, you know, this was after a day where we didn't see any fish. And we were we, – we're not happy when we don't get fish, right? You're miserable, whatever it was, day two or whatever it was. And uh, so we're just parked, you know, a few yards away from Danny and we're just shooting the shit talking. Yeah, you know, how's it going? Nice to meet you. And he's got his clients and they're walleye fishing and he's just talking to us and he casually takes a dead minnow off the hook. And he throws it in the water between our boats. 
and a big musky comes up and takes it, and we're just like, oh yeah. my god! After is all the easy? things, we're like, is it that easy? We're hunting these things for two days, and we we can't see anything. And oh, just- oh, there's one right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, listen to this, Chris. So I, I'm out there. We're we're filming a walleye show a couple of summers ago, and because uh, when we go out there, they they don't want to show just muskies. They want to show how versatile Legal Lake is. It's got Lake Cowlick walleye, smallmouth, etc. So we're out there film, filming for walleyes, and Danny's got the musky bug now, so he gets bored with catching 10,000 walleyes a year. He, he wants to musky fish. He said to me, he says, you want to put a musky in this show? And I said, I don't know. It's kind of relaxing. You know, again, I'm 73 years old. I'm sitting in the front catching walleye after a while. I'm having a good time. And I said, well, how long is it going to take to catch a musky? <laughs> and you, you know, I've been doing this all my life. What so a I'm question. Like what a question, John. Yeah, Holy cow. It could be a week. It could yeah. be a day. He says, I, I'll get this done for you within an hour. And I said, okay, let's go do it. And so this new uh, Mega Live stuff is really interesting. I don't know if you guys use it much. He goes into a bay and a deep bay, you know, it's like 70, 80 feet in there. And he gets in there and he, he screws around with this thing and, and he spots a muskie suspended. And he said to the guy that was with us, uh, the cast right at that, right there where he points about 50 yards out or 50 feet out. I can't remember. And that muskie turns, follows, hits on the figure eight, and it took 10 minutes. I said, <laughs> okay, let's go, let's go back to walleye fishing. No, but seriously, I mean, Danny is extremely good. And I'll, uh, he, I, I don't want to compare Steve and Danny, but, I mean, this is all Danny's done all his life, right? Now he's a Canadian citizen. And you know what he does in the wintertime? He traps wolves. And in the spring, he owns a 20-mile block where he uh, goes out and traps leeches. And he lives off, you know, off the outdoors. And he has two kids. He's a great dad and a great husband. But, man, I'll tell you what, when it comes to the outdoors, hunting, fishing, trapping, he is a tremendous kid. That's a great story. Yeah, so in the spring, man, he gets up in the morning, drags a canoe into those back swamps, sets 40 leech traps, goes back in the afternoon, pulls the leeches. And actually, you know, all of us are kind of got a weird face right now, folks. But uh, at the end of the day, he can, you know, make 1500 2000 a day trapping leeches. So selling them as bait? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how they do it. They go out and they put like 40, 50 of these traps in a swamp and put some cat food in there or, or whatever. And then the next day or that night, they go back and lift the traps and and, and sell the leeches. And it, it, it's really a very lucrative business. But when you want to start thinking about black flies and mosquitoes. That's what I was just thinking about. Yeah, he's got a too much have a full I body mean, suit on, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's nasty. And, and like I say, in the wintertime, I talked to him the other day. He said, yeah, I got a wolf. And I said, well, what are you going to do with it? He says, oh, I tan and hide it myself, you know, and, and sell the skin, you know. So interesting family. 
Cool. I've never heard the word leech trap in my life, and I've been angling my entire life, so that's kind of neat. That's how they get them. Yeah, that's literally how they get them. I think I, I'm not sure on this one, Frank, if, if somebody farm raises them or not, but most of the good leeches that you get are trapped in Canadian waters. Now, they can't they can't export them to the U.S., so... Uh, because of the different DNR rules or whatever. But he sells, they go fast, man. He happens to uh, work for one of the best lodges in the world with uh, the most traffic. And uh, actually, there's some really cool bait stores uh, in and around Vermilion, Vermilion Bay up there. And uh, Bobby's? You like Bobby's? I didn't want to say Bobby's by name, but I, I was thinking exactly of Bobby's. Yeah, we've all, yeah, right. uh, anyone who's been up there has been to Bobby's. And uh uh, great store and and uh, just tons and tons of stuff and I'm sure I'm sure they're buyers, right? Good yeah. Time. Hey folks, thanks for listening. That is part one with legend John Gillespie. Hope you liked it. Stay tuned for part two that airs next week. And if you could be so kind as to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, Chris and I would appreciate it. It helps the show. If you're a musky business, small or large, if you are a multi-species fishing business, small or large, reach out, out to us. We have amazing sponsorship packages for any size business, and we reach a very effective and targeted audience for your business. small-town sheet metal mechanic come to build one of Canada's most iconic fishing lodges? I'm your host, Steve Nidswicki, and you'll find out about that and a whole lot more on the Outdoor Journal Radio Network's newest podcast, Diaries of a Lodge Owner. But this podcast will be more than that. Every week on Diaries of a Lodge Owner, I'm going to introduce you to a ton of great people, share their stories of our trials, tribulations and inspirations learn and have plenty of laughs along the way meanwhile we're sitting there bobbing along trying to figure out how to catch a bass and we both decided one day we were going to be on television doing a fishing show my hands get sore a little bit when i'm reeling in all those bass in the summertime but that's might be for more fishing than it was punching you so confidently you said hey pat have you ever eaten a drum? Find Diaries of a Lodge Owner now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Do you know the name of Canada's one and only specialized pike and muskie shop? It's Izoko, and it's an Esox Angler's Paradise, offering the very best in hand-picked, top-quality gear, from bait casting to fly fishing, and even specialized Scandinavian tackle. Izoko's staff will provide expert advice and top-quality service. But Izoko is more than just a store. It's a community of passionate anglers that make up the Izoko tribe, and they're always ready to share tips and swap stories. So head over to their shop in person or online at izokofishing.com and let Izoko turn those fishing trips into epic stories. No matter what species you love to target, from boot to headlamp, Angling Sports has what you need. Their store is massive, and it's just loaded with equipment and apparel. So if you love to go after those big toothy critters like we do, it's a one-stop shop for all pike and musky tackle. 
Whether you're looking for trolling rods or casting reels, Angling Sports is always adding the latest and best industry offerings from entry level to higher end. Looking for custom musky baits? They got them. It's worth the drive to London, so check out their amazing store in person or online by visiting anglingsports.ca and net that PB in style. Do you know the name of Canada's one and only specialized pike and muskie shop? It's Izoko, and it's an Esox Angler's Paradise, offering the very best in hand-picked top-quality gear, from bait casting to fly fishing, and even specialized Scandinavian tackle. Izoko's staff will provide expert advice and top-quality service. But Izoko is more than just a store. It's a community of passionate anglers that make up the Izoko tribe, and they're always ready to share tips and swap stories. So head over to their shop in person or online at izokofishing.com and let Izoko turn those fishing trips into epic stories. 